ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You know how much we love to share our favorite books with you here on the podcast. We all love to cozy up with a book and a cup of tea, but the truth is, we're always on the go. That is the absolute truth. And audiobooks have been a really incredible way to keep up with our reading while doing lots of other things in our lives. So driving the kids to school, hiking, taking trips to the dog park, or most importantly, folding laundry. I do not like to waste my time. So listening to an audiobook while I fold laundry makes me feel like I'm doing something important. Sandy, what are you listening to these days? Right now, I am absolutely loving Americana, which is a novel by Chimananda Ngozi Adichie. She was the one who wrote We Should All Be Feminists. That's where I was introduced to her, and I love it. Yeah, that's a good one. And you? I am also reading a novel right now, The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. And if you have not read this book yet or seen it all over the internet and all over the bookstore, you should definitely download it. It's amazing. You can get The Female Persuasion or Americana or a different audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 74, Laura. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Conry, as well as our guest for today, Laura Close. Laura is a close friend and collaborator. She is an executive leadership coach based in Seattle. Laura leads a select portfolio of clients through the transformative work of leadership development. She helps her clients reach their next level of career and business achievement, and she is phenomenal at what she does. Now, this episode does have some issues with its audio quality. We had some technical issues while recording this session, but we didn't want to scrap it because the conversation was good. So please bear with us. And without further ado, here's Laura. There's a lot, I think, of emotional and psychological baggage associated with the word expert. And I know this is something that has touched your work in the past. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this topic about why certain people, particularly women of a certain level of professional standing, are uncomfortable with the term expert. The folks I work with are often ambitious and have a really respectable body of achievements. But in order to make it to the next level of their executive capacities or their career, they do have to grapple with their value and how they're communicating their value. And then to use your word, their expertise. It's an interesting question. Why is it 
that so many women don't identify as experts. I would say most people don't identify with that word. I think that there's some gender stuff in play. So I'm wondering what issues come up with you and your work with clients around grappling with professional standing or competency in your work. How does that play out or how do you help your clients to unpack that discomfort with identifying with success or expertise or professional achievement? I think a lot of us have things to be proud of. And when we start with looking at what value do you bring to the table, that's often an easier entry point. So being very clear on your value to your clients or your value to your organization is a great sort of portal through which to open up the conversation. Now, one of the interesting aspects of female socialization, and of course I work primarily with female executives, seniors, and mid-level professionals who are sometimes in private practice. And one of the interesting things about female socialization is we're really taught from a young age that we're valued for our soft skills, right? That we're valued for our ability to be altruistic, to be warm. Basically all of the things that make you likable are the most valuable parts of you. And so when talking with my clients about what value do they bring, it's almost universal that in their first minute or so of discussing it, they're gonna talk about their altruism, and their likability in some configuration, right? Everyone's going to say it differently. And I often have to push folks to get through to their sort of more utilitarian highest value. It's often a certificate that you've earned, a JD or a PMP certificate, or it's a technical skill like data analysis or brand development, things like that. We start with being really clear on your value and what people really come to you for, as opposed to why you're likable. So I think where this breaks down for entrepreneurs, because I think there is a distinction here between people sort of in the traditional workforce versus people who are stepping out on their own in business or in some other kind of entrepreneurial endeavor. I think that there's a mindset shift that has to take place where you have to reckon in order to take that leap. You have to say, like, I want to dream something into existence that doesn't exist yet in the world, or I am the person who's going to birth this idea or this project or this business or this company. And there's a certain level of self-confidence or self-trust or self-acknowledgement that has to take place there about your own competency to take that leap. And so what is interesting to me is that so many people who profess to want to take that leap or who have already jumped off, myself included, are struggling to grapple with the confidence to actually discuss that expertise publicly. And maybe expertise is not the right word, but if we substitute a different word, we still have the same response, which is well, I'm doing this because I think there's a need to do it. And yet I know I'm not necessarily the best person, but I just really feel called to do it. And I think so there's this way of undercutting ourselves in the process of still taking the leap that in some way I think is at least partially self-sabotaging 
the whole project. And I see this over and over. I see this, we do this ourselves as entrepreneurs. I see myself do it. And then I see my clients doing it constantly. And it's like, wow, there's some part of you that is so eager and feels so brave to take this leap. And yet you don't want to fully take it. You want to make sure you cut yourself down just enough because maybe because of fear of public criticism or who knows why? I disagree with the very first thing you said, which is that this is different between entrepreneurs and professionals. I do work with the launch of high-end consulting practices. The risks associated with starting your own business exacerbate the fears that are shared across the spectrum. And so I think that you're onto something. I think you're seeing something, but I think it's actually more potent. And I know this from having personally done it too, right? I think that the bar is really lower for female entrepreneurs. I think we say like, just get confident, right? Meme, meme, quote, like feel excited and feel excited and then jump. You know, you can do it. You can do it. It's not bad, but it's only one part of the recipe. And there's a really critical other component of the recipe, which is getting super clear on your highest value proposition, right? And the way you get clear on that is you start with, especially for female um, entrepreneurs and professionals, you start with uh, your most technical aspects. Because what happens to most female socialized people if you rile them up and encourage them to run out into the marketplace and get clients? They're going to lead with likability. They're going to lead with soft skills because we've been trained to do that our whole lives. That's how you make friends on the playground, right? That's how you network. That's how you party, right? That's how you build community is through those soft skills. And as female socialized people, we may be very good at it, some of us, and we may have practiced it a great deal. So it's like, you know, what does a fish call water? So you rile up all these women, you send them out into the ether, and they're like leading with soft skills, and they're not getting as high a conversion for clients because clients are distinct, from friends, right? And that's the really important thing. So we have to start with why are they buying this, right? And why am I a great technical provider in this one arena? And if you're starting in a more kind of softer skill environment, um, like a long time ago, I generally just started as a life coach. And now I see people almost exclusively around career and advancement issues. So you can start to challenge yourself to see which portion of your client base is challenging you to produce the most technical results for them and move into alignment with that. But you always, as a female professional and entrepreneur, want to be moving towards amplifying your most technical value because the other stuff for most of us is baked in. We're we're going to be okay. You're going to bring that stuff along. Laura, why is it that we are so afraid of not being liked? What is it from our childhood? What have we internalized? Why is that such a big deal that we might not be liked? It's because it's our way of being included. It's our way ultimately at the heart of it of getting access to power, right? Is this a sort of the gendered socialization? It's like if you want to be included, if you want to be promoted, if you want clients to come to you, you better, you know, and then in the early stages as a child, like if you want people to be friendly with you, if you want the person that you like to like you back, right? You have to be really masterful with this whole set of likability traits. And they're not bad. You know, this is something that used to happen in the Uh, like 80s and maybe the 90s is these baby boomer uh, women's life coaches and executive coaches would be like, stop trying to be liked. Stop being a victim. They're very angry and very like, 
you know, and it's, it's what it needed at the time. Like, I think people needed to snap out of it or something. But like, we're in a different era. It's 2018, you know. So the, the point is, is that like, you mastered those set of skills for a reason. It's what society told you was important. It's what was valuable in real time, right? But we might not have gotten as much information about how to be valuable in a profit-making context, right? And learning to differentiate them is really important. Learning to value your technical capacity. Okay, so I want to go back to expertise and expert status here because I really have a strong set of observations that I want to bounce off of you. And I think that this pegs well to other studies that I've read about hiring in the workforce around skill sets. In my case, because that's really who I can speak best about, I feel uh, nervous about claiming my level of expertise in terms of running a software company because I run a small software company and because I wasn't formally trained as a software engineer and I don't have a computer science degree, right? And so I feel a lot of shame and like nervousness around identifying as an expert. At the same time, I understand and I've worked with you know hundreds of people <laughs> who are starting software startups. Mm -hmm. And I understand that I do have a certain level of expertise if I step back and look at it from a 10,000 foot view. But when I think about like, are you are you really the CEO of a software company? I start to get all kinds of insecurity around those feelings. When I'm working with our clients, I feel like because we do have a lot of men also who are clients and I know a lot of men and I'm married to a man <laughs> and I feel like there's this sense of like, oh, I'm one of like the top thousand people who does this. So I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like one of the top 10,000 people who does this thing and teaches this thing. So I'm, I'm pretty much an mm -hmm. expert versus a lot of the women, including myself that I work with, there's the sense of like, I am not the world's leading documented expert on XYZ. So therefore, I can't say that I'm that. And there's this this like real fear of being called out. And I think that there's something that very deep inside of many of us, particularly women, we're terrified of being called out for overstepping or overclaiming our expertise and our leadership. I'm wondering, do you see this showing up in your practice? And how do you how do you work with women to unpack that so that they can because it's 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 obviously holding so many of us back. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. My main reaction to what you're saying is that this is a marketing issue, right? Coke is like, we are the best soda in the world. And they might not be, you know, but like, that's the marketing choice, right? And so I think uh, the way that I approach this with my private clients is we take on a marketing lens that says, I want you to be known by your results. And I want you to be known by who your clients are. And you can work with that in any configuration. I personally think it's uncomfortable to run out in the middle of the street and be like, I'm the world's leading expert on X, Y, Z. Like, it just doesn't, it feels kind of slick in like a way that doesn't like resonate. But um, you know what? Like my results speak for themselves. And 
as I would say to myself and to any of my clients, if your results are not speaking for themselves, then move towards that issue. Let's get interested. Let's crack that open Mm -hmm. and look at your client base. Are they the clients that you want to be working with? If so, showcase them. And if not, um, focus on the percentage of the clients, even if it's just one, uh, that are the clients that you want, right? And be known by these things. And in that way, you can communicate your authority in your field, your content expertise. I'll answer your question one other way, which is you said, how do I work with my clients on that? And what I do with my clients is I have a customized intake process where I understand what their weak spots are and what their strengths are. And if this is a weak spot, like it's not comfortable, ultimately, period, to talk about expertise with that word and that framing, then we're just going to find a different way to solve the riddle, right? We're going to account for those issues. Yeah. I mean, I think it's less about the word than about the entire concept of feeling not good enough, right? I I mean, in general, like there's a sense of insecurity around our level of competence. There's something inside of many of us, because I'm including myself in here as a female entrepreneur, there's something inside of us that's driving us to go build, create, do work, create results. We feel so drawn and so excited. And yet there's this sense of like, who am I to, right? Oh, uh uh-huh. Just because you have benchmarks and results and testimonials, like I don't think that goes away for a lot of us. It's an inner demon that I think we use to sabotage ourselves. All I know is like I feel it and I'm observing it around me. And so it seems like sabotage, but maybe that's not the right sort of like formal term for it. Everyone struggles with this feeling to some degree. Some people, and it, it depends on sort of the intersectional ways in which you came up in the world. Like if you were raised poor, if you were raised rural, if you were raised working class, if you were raised in a number of my clients actually over the years in strictly religious environments where women's roles were kind of like extremely defined. There's so many ways that, you know, if you're a woman of color, if you're queer, if you're trans, like depending on the intersection of your identities and where you come from, also the people who are raised very wealthy and very academic environments tend to get the living daylights questioned out of them while they were growing up and come up with a big complex or work with that. So but because of all of these things, you're going to experience this self-doubt in some amount. For some people, it will be very strong. And for others, it will be very small. We have to account for that and design success strategies to showcase your value in the marketplace, right? That fit for you. You have to go towards what's working. You have to blow it up to 100% to demonstrate your value from a marketing lens, right? So how do you do that if you're fundamentally uncomfortable with it? Does everyone have a preferred path where if it's designed properly, the comfort is there? Or is it about having to put yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable in order to get the results you want? Okay, so I actually have some clients, uh, this is not all of them, this is like a a percentage, who are just temperamentally not cut out for like client acquisition. They're cut out to provide the service, to teach and lead, to found and create, but they're just not cut out for it. And like there's so much like strength Mm -hmm. in like getting to the point where you can be like, girl, you can teach, lead, found and create the bejesus out of this XYZ situation, right? But you, my friend, 
are not going to be this person who can acquire clients organically. So here's what we're going to do. We can either create um, an online platform and funnel so that you're not personally involved, right? So it's automated. And I know Soulful MBA has like an enormous amount of tools. I recommend it to my clients. You can partner with someone who's good at it, you know, stuff like that. You know, I want to say one other thing though. There's too much of that like early energy. Like, do they like me? kind of wrapped up in this question, right? And so what I like to do with my clients is introduce, is like reduce sort of the like, do they like me question by introducing more of like the kind of hard charging selfish questions. And I have a four part test. I've never talked about this outside of session before. Do you guys wanna hear my four part test? Um, yes. The preamble is that like those of us um, who are raised female or who were raised as like givers, you know, we tend to prioritize altruism. So you say, Jenny, why do you want to found a software company? And you're like, to help the millions. And I'm like, no girl, wrong answer. <laughs> That's like, Yeah, we've actually had this conversation on a panel publicly. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And so like, that's great. Congratulations. You're an altruist. So is everybody else. Right. So let's pull the do-gooding aside for one second, because this is business. This is, you know, business. So I want to know of the following four options, which which are entirely selfish, which is your favorite flavor of selfishness. We got to get into the selfishness a little bit. And so the options are make a lot of money is number one. Number two is be famous, be seen, be known, right? Um, kind of like on all the blogs and podcasts or interviews, you know, people can like know your face. Um, number three is uh, to be in charge. You're the shot caller. All the decisions come to you. You connect people. You're the kingmaker. You run this town. Like people need, like the team reports to you. You give them orders. You are building, creating, and leading. Um, and number four is to uh, have authority and expertise, which is to say um, you're known, but only because of your nerdiness. Like, <gasps> That woman wrote the white paper on snail mating habits. Do you know her name? She is going to be the keynote speaker on snail mating habits in Paris this fall, right? Or she created a new yoga pose. And like, if you go see her, you'll learn it, right? Um, so those are the four choices. It's money, fame, power, and authority, right? By the way, what's your favorite kind, ladies? Can you be a mixture or do you really situate in one? Yeah, I don't want to pick one. Uh-huh. So everyone always asks me that. But the truth is, is that one is probably going to be the right answer. So let's do it. Let's do a little live. Power. Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> See, this is it. I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe about, okay, power. I feel like they kind of can fold in if you have power. And that's your perspective. Right. My perspective. Sandy, what's yours? I'm going to say power is too, just based on some recent conversations that you and I have, but I'm not happy picking one. I don't want one. Uh -huh. Tell me about that. I want lots of money. Uh -huh. I do want to be seen as an authority. Uh -huh. I think that the conversation that Jenny and I have had recently and with our clients is like, I'm learning to move aside that altruistic kind of attitude and outwardly say, yeah, you know what? I'm in this because I do want a lot of money. I do want to be seen as an expert. 
We're also talking about within our own company moving towards an agency model. We're kind of bouncing some ideas around. And I have heard myself say, I'd love to be the person in charge who makes the decisions of who works with who. Great. If you hadn't given me these options, I would not have said that to you. That's right. Because you make me choose one. <laughs> Laura, what is yours? Yeah, Laura. I'll tell you, mine is money. I would have said expertise. Uh, yeah. So this is interesting. Off, one of, uh, if you want to get deep into it, like uh, one of the things I often notice is the one that you choose is often not the one that you're known for. Right. Like, so people uh, often say like, oh, Laura, like the things you're saying sound smart. Right. And other people are really hungry to hear that. But for me, that's not an issue. And so like the one that I'm really hungry for is, is money. I mean, I was raised working class. My shoes didn't fit. You know, things were rough at times. And my parents had housing instability when they were growing up. So for me to be able to provide for my kids and be proud of the income that I'm earning is my touchstone. And I'll also share with you that in my 20s, I was very visible and very seen within the subculture I was in. I was leading uh, people's movements across the United States, and I got a taste of fame. And I'm, uh, it turns out I'm not into it. You know? so, this is wisdom with age. <laughs> Jenny, you said, like, how do we work with people around these marketing strategies and, and, and expert status and taking, taking it to the next level in terms of your content coming across from that expert place? I ask people this question in order to pierce the gendered veil of uh, insistence on being liked or insistence on altruism, leading with these things that actually like don't make money. These things are not, they don't convert, you know? And so I say, okay, so people feel often very pleased when they get right with their inner motivation for business and they're able to make different and new choices. They're able to think new thoughts about how they're communicating their value proposition. When you take your business to the next level, because you always will, I want you to do it through the lens of that four-part question that you just picked. I want you to tell people about your power. You know, I want you to like show it, be it, you know, and the same would be true for your clients. If one of them that's listening wants to be known as an authority in her field, then that's the way we need to head in marketing and people love it. It works. So Laura, your answer is money. Like, do you want to be known for money? Like, I don't understand that one. <laughs> That's Laura. Do you know how much money she makes? Can I tell the money story, Laura? I actually don't know what you're talking about. Go for it. I was going to pitch to some venture capitalists and <laughs> Laura was like, you need to come see my stylist. Like, you need to get the right outfit for this. And I was flying across the country to go give a pitch and to have a very important business meeting. And I was like, yeah, I think you're probably right. So I went to see your go-to stylist named Brent, who's wonderful. Uh, which, by the way, you can find him at brentmartin.com. He just styled the CEO of Microsoft. But I just sort of showed up. I didn't know that you had filled out this form on my behalf. Brent had been asking about what I was interested in acquiring in this like high-end section of Nordstrom. Anyway, and I show up and he's like, you know, no one has ever said this on the form before. And I was like, excuse me, you said what? What are you talking about? And he's like, do you mean Gucci? Like, what do you mean by money? And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and then he said, well, you wrote on the form that you want to look like money. <laughs> and I was like, what? What form? And I was like, I didn't fill out any form. And then I realized like it was like a light bulb turned on in my mind. 
Laura had filled out this form for me, which I'm sure you do for your clients. Like this is nuts, but amazing. That's right. And you had written on this form to this man I had never met before, this stylist, that I needed to look like money. (laughs) It was like this amazing, like out of body experience for me because that is the last thing I would have ever written on any form ever, right? That's right. But it put me in this room of clothes that I would have never chosen for myself. And it was this like fascinating hour of my life that I will never forget because I was like, wow, this is what one would look like if they were trying to look like quote unquote money. And it was hilarious. And it was funny for him too. That's why I guessed you would pick that. That's awesome. I wouldn't even like conceive of that as a way to dress, you know, like that's not like a style money. To my credit, I'm almost positive now that I'm reflecting on this story that I said East Coast money. (laughs) Yeah, and it worked. Thank you for that, Laura. You're welcome. Let's just be clear. You're saying that we all have this certain mindset around the kind of success that we want to have or what that success equates to in our own mind. And so for some of us, it's we're really drawn to money. And for some of us, we're really drawn to fame or to power or to status. Yeah. And that's just like this way of categorizing people. And I'm sure there's nuances in there, right? But it seems from what you're saying that when you generally work with clients that people fall into one of those four categories. Yeah. And I'll just edit with one sentence to say that maybe I I misspoke a little bit. And maybe instead of being known by the choice that you made, like design your entire approach around the thing that you really want. Yeah. Go for the thing you want in your flavor of selfishness. Build the kingdom that you wish to inhabit. And like enough with the like, you know, I do this for the whole world because yes, you do. But also like it's business. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I think that's totally true. And I might be changing mine now, actually, now that I think about it. We can talk about that offline. (laughs) I want to say that I want a lot of money, but I feel guilty, weird, greedy. I don't think you want that much money. I know both of you and I think there's a very big distinction. Huh. I actually think I'm not power now that I think about it. And you're, you are power. I think you're authority. You like expertise. I'm not going to talk about this publicly right now. <laughs> but I will say that like it's okay to want all of them, but you have to be honest about the one that you want the most. I think there's a lot of truth to this. The more that I think about it, I thought it was fame for a long time and then I pivoted and I didn't even know you had this framework, but I also think in these ways. I am not as articulate about it. But then I pivoted to think, I really want to have access to people who are famous. And so that means I must want power. But I actually think like I still really am drawn to, to a certain kind of fame. And it, like just to say, I mean, I think well, that's true. It's not it's not like Kardashian fame, uh, though. Uh-huh. It's what Seth Godin would call famous in the family, which is like famous to a small group of people. And maybe that's expertise. So Jenny, that's the authority category. So this is so this is actually the most common point of confusion. People are like I want to be famous, but only in this one specific way. And I'm like, that's authority. Some people hmm. really do just want to be famous. And that is okay. It's a thing. Oh, yeah. That is definitely not me. Like the worst thing I can imagine is going to the airport and having someone recognize me. Right. And that's what happened to me when I was leading people's movements for over a decade. It started to happen with increasing frequency. And that's when I learned that I would actually rather die than live that life. So now we, we know yeah, what we like, yeah. you know. So again, you can like all of them, but you have to get honest about that key thing and design your approach yeah. around it. So now we have two major tools that we've identified in this conversation, which is your technical value, right? Why would somebody purchase from you? You are the best tool or a great tool for what, right? 
And then if you want to niche it out, you can say like, not only am I a lawyer for immigrants, but I'm an immigrant myself, right? So then you add in your special secret sauce, but you lead with the lawyer part, not the immigrant part, right? Does that make sense? And then the second tool is identifying your most selfish need. And you approach from that angle. You can still do good. You can still help and heal the world. But this has to be the portal that you go through when you're talking about expert status. And you don't ever have to use the word expert. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm not telling everyone that they have to use the word expert. But I do think owning the fact that you have a certain skill set or a certain talent or a certain level of genius at something and really acknowledging that because you can't sell it if you don't really believe you have it. I encourage my clients to do that in terms of case studies mm -hmm. to like yeah. drop like situational case studies. Like it's sort of like name dropping. But there's something that has to happen for you to be willing to go ask your clients if you can talk about them. I see this trickle down, right? So sure, I think the case studies or the testimonials speak for themselves, but you as the person who helped birth that case study has to be willing to take some level of credit for it and has to be willing to go out to the client and ask them if you can use it. And I think that there's even a fear that sets in there where you're like, oh, but I'm not the one that did it. They really did the work. I didn't transform their body. They did that. I'm just their teacher. you know. And I think that there's this, there's like, no, you have to own that you did something like you're do you're showing up every day and you're causing Im creating impact and you're doing the work and you have there's something there that you did create like for me I didn't write every line of code in our software like I didn't write all the code but the software exists because of me right so I have to own that. but but like there's a big part of me that's like I didn't write all the code so it's not mine you have to be willing to have some ownership in the results that you're creating you're right but now we need a tool to match what you're saying the tool for this issue that you've identified, which is correct, you know, it's imposter syndrome, it's widespread, uh, is to study the hero's journey framework, right? It's a, one of the most famous frameworks from English literature. It's heavily used. I've run workshops on it with female entrepreneurs and you study the stages and you can find, you can Google it. It's all over the place. So easy to find and you chart your case study with you as the hero and match each step. That is the tool that you use if you are struggling with that set of feelings that you so accurately are observing in your client base. And if we use the- So you really think that's imposter syndrome then? That's what that is? Oh yeah, yeah. Huh. And Jenny, you're a female software founder. You have international reach. You're a freaking unicorn. We gotta get you on that hero's journey. We need a part two to this because I have so many questions and a little bit of a rebuttal. Um, <laughs> anyway, understanding of what really drives you as an entrepreneur or as a leader is really helpful. And I think also this advice to our listeners to lead with your most technical skill is amazing advice. So I think we will bookmark this for a part two conversation, which we need to have later. Um, but in the meantime, I would love it if you would share a couple of resources with our listeners. So we always, at the end of every episode, share a joy and a hustle. A joy is a book, a tool, an event, something that, our, that you love and that our listeners can acquire or join in on to have a little bit of extra joy in their lives and also a hustle, a tool that helps you in your business. I really love the book uh, Herding Tigers, which is a book for uh, managers who oversee creatives. 
Um, and increasingly, because design is so central to business success, many, many managers, uh, directors, executives are overseeing people who fundamentally struggle with structure and are wonderful assets and creatives. And so my clients who are in that position really love the book Hurting Tigers. Um, and the hustle is also something that helps with work. That sounds like a hustle. Now something happy. It can be your favorite kind of chocolate. Well, obviously you're not eating chocolate right now from based on your conversation before we started recording. Can I give a shout out to Brent? I mean, he makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. Um, I, can I tell my favorite story about Brent? Is the preamble short? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm kind of a humble girl and I come from like a leftist sure. political background. I'd never gotten fancy, but I needed to get fancy for my first entrepreneur photo shoot. And I like researched all the free stylists at my local Nordstrom and picked him and booked a session and sat down and he said, tell me about your style. And I said, it's like an anarchist meets like a latter day um, Gloria Steinem. And he was like, whoa, nobody has ever said that to me before. And he said, you would love my cousin. He grew up with me on Bashan Island. It was a co-founder of the Occupy Wall Street movement. And I knew exactly who his cousin's name was. I said it to him. He said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you know my cousin. And Brent has a glorious uh, reputation in fashion. He's a strange bird being a straight man in fashion who designs uh, and dresses everyone. And I sent all of my clients to him. His website is brenthenrymartin.com. And I can't recommend him highly enough. Wonderful. And we will link to both Hurting Tigers, and to Brent's website in our show notes. Thank you so much for your That's time, awesome. Laura. Thank you, this Laura. very fun. And we will schedule a second part two where we can discuss the hero's journey in more detail and how our listeners can partake in this exercise. So thank you again. And we will see you all on Wednesday for an Office Hours episode. Bye, guys. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.